Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 397. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have an awesome guest who... I worked with many years ago, not many, several years ago, and whose life just got in the way. Now, Mike Tyson has a famous quote that said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's what happened to Shahan. But what he didn't do was give up. He always had his plan A in mind and never detoured from his plan. And through having multiple kids and through all of life's journeys and struggles, he has now had an amazing application cycle. And we talk about stats and everything else, but with more than a dozen acceptances and ultimately picking a medical school in the Northeast, in a small town called Boston. I'll let him tell you where he's going. Uh, Shahan has an amazing story of perseverance, an amazing story of really a, a lot of success as well. He, he never really struggled and had to overcome a poor GPA, but he had to figure out what he wanted his life to look like. And maybe that's you as well. So that's what we're going to dive into today. Say hello to Shahan. Shahan, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Gray. I appreciate it. I'm excited. After you reached out to me, sent me an email of all of your success after uh, what seemed to be a lot of turmoil and delays and everything else. When you emailed me your success story, I'm like, holy moly, I need to get you on the podcast and, and chat with you. So congratulations, first off, on your success. Thank you so much. It, it was definitely a long road. Um, and in the end, I'm really happy with the outcome, obviously. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Let's start with when you first realized you wanted to be a physician. I would say probably three or four, probably two or three years after undergrad is when I actually decided, hey, actually medicine might be something that I want to pursue. Um, the entire time uh, I was focused after undergrad to, you know, be in education. Um, my path was very much so through a principal pipeline. I did Teach for America after undergrad, and that was kind of like the route that I wanted to take with my life. 
and uh, personal experiences, having my kids, um, also some, you know, family uh, illnesses. Me personally, I also had to have surgery, you know, during this time. And all of these kind of experiences snowballed into maybe I should look at medicine as something um, that I can pour my heart and soul into. Um, initially, I, I joined TFA because I wanted to help alleviate, you know, educational disparities um, in underserved communities. And I felt like every day I was battling just what felt like at the time insurmountable health disparities for my students. And my wife was also a nurse. So she was talking about the experiences that she was having at needle exchanges and stuff in the same hospitals in the area. And so all of these things kind of came to a head and I decided to take take the plunge and to see if this was actually a path that me and my family can um, pursue because it was definitely a a family decision. Couldn't do it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. With having a family as a non-traditional student going back through that journey, going back to medical school is definitely a, a conversation that has to, has to be had. When, when you were an undergrad, there was, there was no inkling like, Oh, do I want to do teaching or do I want to be pre-med? Like pre-med was never on the radar. It was until freshman bio. And I was like, uh, nah. <laughs> okay. So it yeah. was there potentially. It was, but yeah, I mean, it was like, just like with anything, when you start off, like I felt like the world was the oyster. I was also thinking like, oh, I wonder if I will be a small business owner or I'm going to look into getting a PhD or becoming a professor one day. But yeah, I think all those things kind of like slowly, but surely found my way into teaching. And that's kind of what I wanted to do um, right after uh, undergrad, even though I didn't even... I didn't even major in education, TFA. It was just something that um, I pursued like during early part of my senior year. Yeah. And everything worked out and that was the decision we decided to go with. Did you have any family that were in healthcare, like parents or aunts and uncles? No, I'm first gen everything. That's what okay. I call it. Um, so first to uh, go to college, first to pretty much do a lot of things. And so it was kind of like making my way through this really convoluted path of college and also you know, work, like uh, life after college, moving, yeah. we moved, you know, a lot. And so, and then also applying to med school. Um, I would say I have a lot of people in the healthcare field that are uh, in my family that are do a lot of different types of things, but more like CNA stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know, assisted living, that kind of thing. But yeah. no, no one who's, you know, at that time um, is in healthcare in any formal capacity. Yeah. So you're out with Teach for America and you have this kind of light bulb, like maybe I meant to go to medical school and, and help this the, the, on the healthcare side for these students. What's the first step that you take to, to even ascertain what you need to do or if it's even possible? Uh, Google, Google's your friend. <laughs> so the first step was sitting on your computer and can I how to become a doctor after college? <laughs> that was part of it in my Google search. Um, I also being in uh, moving from Miami to Baltimore, I went to you know the University of Miami for undergrad, and so a lot of my connections to my alma mater were very regional. Not a ton of uh, alum in the Baltimore area that that I know of or that I knew how to get in contact with. So well, it's, it's not like Miami's alum are very useful anyway. I mean, no, uh, nothing no. like Gator alumni. <laughs> <laughs> really chom chomping on the hurricane over here um, yeah so to that point yeah it was just it was just one of those things where um that network wasn't as maybe as accessible as i wanted it to be mm -hmm. not to mention i'm also working like you know 85 yeah. 90 hours a week it's not like it was oh, that's easy it. <laughs> to do. yeah i mean like first first and second year teaching is is not a you know well, let's just say I'm, I'm ready for residency. I guess you can say that. Right? <laughs> well, I think I'm ready. You think you are. You're never ready. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I just started cold calling a bunch of doctors, actually. Like, okay. I probably cold called 100 doctors or emailed. So, a combination. Um, 100. And, yeah. I get cold so many that. messages from students. Like, I called three doctors and they all said no. I'm like, keep calling. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the thing is, like, you got to keep in mind. Like, for me, like, I wasn't naive about the fact that, listen, I had to have this doctor be willing to work around my work schedule, around mm-hmm. my graduate program, um, be willing to let me come in when I could. Like, so that's not an easy, like, doctors, like, why do I need to do all this? For, you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I didn't expect anyone to jump at the chance. Yeah. Uh, and so, also, I, I would say I found um, two to three that responded to me. And one of them was uh, someone, the only reason why he reached out, he told me like, Hey, my daughter is also a teacher. I understand how difficult this is. And that's the reason why I'm willing to, you know, be so flexible. And he turned out to be like the head of neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins, right? Like what are the odds of that being able to get that kind of experience and exposure with him early on and do some research with him and be with him in the OR and see how that worked out. Yeah. Um, but that was all prior to me even shadowing my wife. My wife was also a nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually like shadowed her, interviewed her, talked to her about her experiences in healthcare. And that was my first foray into what is this like? What does this mean? She worked with a lot of residents, a lot of fellows at the time, mm-hmm. a lot of different attendings. And so that was the first, I, I think the first rung in the ladder. And then that led to, you know, me reaching out to other doctors and trying to get experience with shadowing because I was also doing ER, you know, stuff, but that's, you know, not, I wouldn't say as, um, uh, eye-opening as obviously shadowing and being more hands-on. I think one of your sayings is you have to be able to smell the patients, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think you got, I got a lot of that with the experience with, um, with that, with that specific doctor. Yeah. So a lot of students in, in your situation, they'll, they'll go from teach for America to, I want to be a doctor. They go and take classes and then they apply to medical school. You went out and got experience. You got close to those patients. When you did that, did you have any doubts? Be like, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Or was was it like, holy crap, this was amazing. I, I need to keep doing that. I think it was a combination of things. I think it was a little bit of a, a culture shock of, you know, kind of being in a field that I was finding success in. I felt very comfortable in at the time. Um, I was investing a lot of my time and energy. But the shock for me came from the fact that in my mind, mentally preparing to literally start back from the bottom in terms of my professional aspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I think I, you know, circumventing that um, mentally was just to understand that uh, it wasn't about where I was starting. It was more about the work that I was doing. So how appealing and how invested and how connected did I feel to the actual work and not, I guess, where I stood on the totem pole of that quote unquote work. Um, and I think the that, work, the work that you would be doing as a physician or the work that you were doing right then and there on that very day? Um, yeah, the work that I would say the work that I would be doing as a physician, because okay. there was nothing there was nothing, I think, that from my experiences that that shocked me and told me that this is not for me. Mm-hmm. I think every experience led to, well, I want to see how this works and I want to learn more about this and I want to, you know, kind of get more of an exposure to, you know, how to read a film. Like there were so many different things that I think I. I was able to kind of spread my my fingers into different networks while being with, um, you know, in the different fields that I was in, because whether it be talking to other nurses that, you know, my, my wife's colleagues, whether it be with, you know, uh, Dr. Rigamonti connecting me with other people to shadow, whether mm-hmm. it be with seeing different services in the ED, that kind of thing. And so with every every different experience, I felt like, yeah, this is something I could definitely feel myself doing because it wasn't a it wasn't a decision I took lightly. It was something that I needed yeah. to make be certain of before we decided to take the plunge. Yeah. What was the hardest thing about 
going back, getting the experiences, taking classes since you weren't pre-med in undergrad, uh, while also doing Teach for America and everything else you were up to? Um, I would say that it was, so I like finished my post back like almost three years ago. So mm-hmm. like I'm just starting med school. So I would say <laughs> like this year. So I would say for me, the biggest was, you know, the setbacks and the failures that hit you. I mean, I guess you can, I mean, yeah, what I, would, I call them, fail, I would call them setbacks probably more so than failures. But mm-hmm. um, I would say those hit me really hard because as, as someone who's like really driven and focused, like many pre-meds are, mm-hmm. you have this plan for your life and you want it to work a certain way. And then when it doesn't, it's like you have to kind of rearrange or figure out what's what's the other route that you want to take. And that's not always an easy thing to do when you're thinking when you're like thinking about like planning for your family, where we're going to be living, um, how much is this stuff going to cost? Like, you know, all this kind of ancillary duties that you have as yeah. a parent, as a husband, and all these things. So I think those setbacks were the toughest for me. Um, but there was always I feel like there was always um it's not a plan B to the plan A, but what happens for if this plan A doesn't work out, how do I still get back to plan A yep. um, in a way that makes the most sense? And so for me, I think that was, I think, really beneficial and also having a really strong support system in my family that was willing to support me in regardless of what whatever those setbacks were. Um, yeah. So I would say, yeah, those things. Were those setbacks related to going to school, getting good grades, or were they just related to life and having kids and family and all that other stuff? Or is just a little yeah. bit of everything? I think it's a combination of things. Is like I, I delayed, I actually like delayed my application three times. Like, so initially when I applied, so in, in our, in our post-bac program, there are these things called linkage agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I initially applied to one school through a linkage agreement. The way it works is you only apply to one school. You don't even have to take the MCAT sometimes and you just directly go to that school. So when I applied for the linkage to that one school, I was really disappointed because they, you know, I had, I had done really well in all my post-bac classes, um, 4-0 throughout the time there. Um, and I was very excited. I thought I was a really competitive applicant, but they looked at my SAT scores from when I was 15 (laughs) to determine whether or not they would give give me an interview. And that's something I was just shocked that they even decided to even look up. And I guess I was like one or two percentiles below their cutoff for that score. And I think they use it as a determination for, you know, if you're going to do well and pass boards, standardized stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Standardized testing. Exactly. So, but for me, I was just like, are you serious? And so like, (laughs) that was a big shock to me because, you know, I mean, there was um, a documentary the other day that I was watching uh, Michelle Obama's documentary called Becoming. And she talks so much about, well, she talked for a portion of it about stories over stats, how important stories are over stats. And yeah, I bought into that completely. And I think that's extremely true. Um, because crafting my story through my application process and then throughout the interviews, I found that to be extremely compelling. But that stat piece is still a piece that, you know, at that point was like, bam, right in the face. Are you serious? Like, are you talking about a 16, 17 year old number that like, is, yeah. anyway, so that was, that was annoying. And then um, my wife, uh, we, we had another baby. So that put our timeline back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I also had to have surgery on my hand. I had ulnar nerve mm-hmm. transposition surgery. Um, during that time. Yeah. So I had like woke up one day and I lost feeling in my two, my two or like two of my fingers on my left <laughs> hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those two. My, mine are like, numb from, from <laughs> studying for the boards like this for hours, having my, my elbow bent for hours. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like you don't even realize it. Yep. Right? And so like, I'm like, yo, why can't I, I can't, I can't, I couldn't clip my fingernails. I was oh. like, what is happening to my hands? And as somebody who, you know, wants to do procedures in the future, yeah. I was terrified. 
and so like that pushed it back a little bit. I remember my director of my postback was like, uh, are you going to apply? And I was like, I can't control Yeah, it, at, at some point, do you get that like little kind of voice in your head going, oh, maybe I'm not committed to this. I keep pushing it back. I think from, I can see how that could be a thing. But for me, I think there was always, I, I was always working toward it, right? Yeah. So it wasn't like, I got off the train, like train mm-hmm. was still going. I still understood what the AMCAS timeline was. I still understood I need, who I needed to get letters from. I still like had, had some, I still kept in contact with everyone that I needed to keep in contact with to keep the engine running. Yeah. So I was ready to execute. I could execute. Right. And so like, you know, even if that meant like, I remember I was studying for the MCAT in the hospital when <laughs> my daughter was born, she was sitting there, she was asleep, mom was asleep. And I had my, my AMC flashcards <laughs> out, like reading through the question. And because I was always on the train, I didn't, I didn't plan to get off of it. So um, it wasn't something that I was considering at all in terms of like, is this for me? Is it not for me? Yeah. Um, I wish I put some money on it because some of my friends from the postback did have like a running bet. Like, is he ever going to apply to med school? <laughs> and so yeah. now it's like, I should, I should have collected. Yeah. It'd been awesome. <laughs> so in your situation, you, it sounds like you went to a formal postback that had linkage uh, connections or linkage agreements with medical schools. When you were looking at postbacks versus a do-it-yourself kind of situation, what was the decision for you to do a formal postback? Because those those are expensive. They are. Um, I looked at it as uh, an investment and also a time commitment. Like it's it's easy to look back and say, well, I had all this other time that I, I could have like taken my time and done it um, like, you know, part time. But I think the combination of experiencing everything that a postback had to offer and eliminating all the guesswork of getting letters and having, excuse me, a, a committee letter written for me and for getting the experiences that I needed and getting all of my labs and science courses in one year. I mean, it, it was just worth it at that time. And I looked at, okay, we're looking at what the numbers were maybe um, like five to 7% of what overall like student loans might cost. And then I also yeah. looked at the potential for, you know, getting some kind of aid or scholarships for med school out of that. So for me, it was kind of like a, an investment. And also I was fortunate enough to go to, to go to college on a scholarship. So I didn't have a ton of student loan debt. So that's a privilege nice. that I had not having a ton of student loan debt going into, you yeah. know, this whole, you know, career change. So that was something that uh, weighed heavily on me. And then during my interview sold me, I mean, I, I interviewed and um, I remember there was a professor and she was teaching organic chemistry and it was just so compelling she was, she had, I mean, she, it, it, for me, I was like, I didn't want to be anywhere else except there. Yeah. Um, she was literally teaching stereoisomers w- with like <laughs> a key, chemo IV in her arm. Cause she was, you know, battling wow. uh, cancer. And I was just like, I want to learn from this person. I want to be here. This seems like such a special place. Yeah. And so for me, it was like no brainer at that point. Was there a part of the decision at all? Part, part of the algorithm that were were you needing to overcome poor undergrad grades? And so you're like, I need to go to a competitive formal postback and do as well as possible to overcome earlier grades or were your grades fine and you just wanted to go to the place you you felt was a fit? Yeah, my grades were good. Thankfully, um, I graduated um, with high honors from you know Miami, uh, but I didn't really take any of the science courses. I think the one I think I think I just wanted to be as prepared as possible. Like this, again, and it's another calculated decision, right? Yeah. How could I be as prepared as possible for the basic sciences going into med school? Yeah. And I felt the formal postback, a rigorous yes. postback, one with all the labs and the, around like-minded people would assist me in doing that. Yeah. And so that's, that's pretty much the main decision point. That's not to say that I crushed undergrad, by the way. Like I, I got into all these and I had a successful application cycle, but 
Yeah. Like you're definitely preaching to the choir <laughs> every time I listen to the pre-med years. The pre-med years was the soundtrack of my life, by the way. I call it the soundtrack <laughs> of my pipetting life when I was doing research. It was just, it was like Dr. Gray all the time in my ear, like learning all this stuff, taking notes and like making sure I had a plan. And it really um, paid off a lot. Funny, funny side note. I interviewed at, uh, with Dr. Politis and he was talking to me about H prep in yep. the interview. And in the interview, I was like, did you do an interview with Dr. Gray? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, that was, I was like, for me, that, that episode was like relatively fresh. Like I didn't like it. I heard it. Like, so you, you interviewed at WashU and, and had Dr. Politis Dr. as your Gray interview. That's awesome. 30 minutes, 30 <laughs> minutes of our interview was about Dr. Gray, the podcast, where, where pre-meds are going, <laughs> like how H prep is going to be. Yeah. That's pretty much what it was like. Yeah. That's it was very awesome. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he's he's been on the podcast four times. I think he's the, he's the most uh, visited guest. Um, so let's let's talk about your application to medical school. So you applied one time only. No, well, one time officially, and then I one faked, time officially. I, out, I call it a fake out. I pump faked a bunch of applications where yes. I like I, I started it and then I didn't <laughs> submit all yeah. the way, or I like I had one school or whatever. Yeah, because. In my mind, I just wanted to make sure like whatever, whenever I hit the send button for the next time, that was the final send. Cause I know how important it is not to be considered like a reapplicant at places and things like that, at least in my mind, right yeah. at the time. Okay. Um, I wanted to be like, you know, one shot, that's it, I'm done. But obviously I wasn't, I just wanted to make sure like everything was in and I had no other issues um, because of all the other stuff that came up. So <laughs> no other babies think, on the way, nothing yeah, else yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, nothing else popping up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I definitely had a bunch of pump fakes. I had yeah. like, I, I, I started and stopped the application I think like three times and I submitted it once before. And then it was like two years and that was the submit, I think was the link, the linkage um, application. Okay. But all the other ones were just kind of like, yeah. yeah. Fill it out was, and yeah. don't click submit. So that was part the, of me staying on the train. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was on the train. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the whole, uh, the whole, how many times does it take to quit smoking? It's like seven times. So you were like feeling it out, feeling it out, feeling it out. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah, um, pretty much. Good. And I still applied blind. I applied without an MCAT score. I still yeah. applied without an MCAT score and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, it, in the end, it was, you know, uh, did, um, did you want to talk about the application? Cycle yeah. So, I'm, I'm looking now. So, you when you emailed me a couple months ago, you applied to 40 schools, which is yeah. way too many. And, and you recognize yeah, absolutely. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> interview invites to 34 schools. You interviewed at 21 and you have 10 acceptances and a few wait lists. Yeah. Well, 16 now. 16 well, acceptances? I, yeah. And then the rest were wait lists. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was good. It was a fruitful cycle. I, <laughs> I would say so. Um, you, you alone, like the speaking of the butterfly flapping the wings, causing a hurricane on the other side of the planet, right? The, you alone uh, actually committing to one school like was a domino effect for everyone else coming off of a wait list at, at multiple schools. Which I'm really happy about. Yeah. I and mean, I think, yeah, I think, and I, I just, I was fortunate to have to, to I could decide early. So I didn't yeah. have to mess around too much with um, figuring out like one versus the other. But I would say like the, the entire process was um, extremely humbling. I, like I said, I applied completely blind. I didn't know what well, in terms of blind, in terms of blind to my MCAT score, everything else mm -hmm. was in. Um, I mean, we can talk, I mean, I had pretty much overall GPA was, was really good. Post back was you know, I did well in the post back. Um, and that was because I treated it honestly, like I was so invested. I treated it like a job. I didn't mess yep. around. It was something that was really important to me and my family. I mean, I, I studied for that MCAT like religiously. Um, I was, I would say that my, my study and my preparation 
was part, and that's part of why I felt comfortable applying without it because I had very consistent scores up yeah. until that point. Um, did and you then, did you play the whole apply to one school game and then you added other schools when you got your score back? You're like, I'm fine. I'm going to do no, fine. No, that's it. Yeah, no. After how many pump fakes? I was like, this shot is going up. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm done. This, this, this is it. Like I'm just gonna whatever score I get is the score I'm going to get. Like yeah. you know, and I wasn't I wasn't looking back at that point. And so, what'd you end um, up was, with? On your MCAT? I got I got a 519 on my MCAT, okay. which was um good, I think. Yeah. But to be to be completely honest, I was I was not to not to be obnoxious, but I was <laughs> a little disappointed because I was scoring, you know, five nothing less than a 522 on my other practice tests. But that just shows just to emphasize that buffering those points the, the your 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 yeah. points and your expectations is extremely important. Yeah. I mean at the time, like Yara was two months and I think I got three or four hours of sleep before the MCAT. Cause I mean, she's two months old. Like, and although you, you plan, like I'm going to go sleep in the guest in the, like <laughs> on the floors, like you hear stuff, like yep. things happen and it is what it is. It's fine. Like I'm not, I did come out the MCAT thinking I crushed it though. I was yeah. like, yeah, I crushed that test. It's a 528. <laughs> but the other people crushed it too. So um, yeah. it was, um, I would say for me, uh, just felt very comfortable to be so successful. I think in, in that, and also studying for it, as someone who was in education and as an adult learner at that point, and not someone who was trying to figure out how I learn, I approached every section very differently because I felt mm-hmm. like they, like for me personally, like I, I took them differently. I felt like they tested different, different skill sets and the way I processed information. And that was very helpful to kind of figure that out for each section. Um, MCAT Reddit is a godsend. I felt like that yep. was a lot of, that was a ton of help on there. I mean, you can pretty much study for cars and psych. So like yeah. tomorrow, if you wanted to, yeah. um, well, let's, and then let's, I, Let's talk through the application a little bit because having a 4.0 or whatever, as close to that as possible, post back GPA, a 519 MCAT score, like 34 interview invites is still astronomically high. What do you think it was in your application that caused so many schools to go, I want to talk to this kid? I think... Honestly, I think my application was very well thought out and and put together in a way that made a compelling case for wanting to go into medicine with the evidence that supported it. I think that's part of it. The other part of it is, I mean, I did a lot of things, Dr. Gray, before I applied to med school. So, I mean, my recommend I had like 10 recommendation letters. I don't know how many people read all of them. But on every single interview, they talked about the recommendation letters um, and, you know, what, you know, some of the things that they found really compelling about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those two things were important. One, a, a well, a extremely well-crafted, you know, narrative, not only personal statement, but like mm-hmm. every single, and you were like, I mean, instrumental in figuring out how to craft that story through all the experiences that led to the same I guess, thesis of what this application is, right? Or what my application was, who I was. And I think everything kind of led back to, this is how this story and this is how this experience affected me as a human being. And that is why I want to, you know, go into medicine. And I think every one of those experiences coupled with the the length and duration of the experiences with a, with a personal statement that made sense and was compelling and the recommendations, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like all those coalesced into a really well thought out application. Um, not to mention all the secondaries, obviously. So you have yeah. to like put that in there too, in terms of how you want to communicate, you know, your interest to the school and the secondary. So, yeah, I would say that. And to be honest, I mean, how much do I know about that? Like how successful that was? I mean, I don't know exactly what, what, what was the most important thing after yeah. I left or before they decided to send me a, an interview invite. I mean, who knows? 
Yeah. So um, that's just from my from my perspective, but I think was the most compelling. Yeah. Even after like going to the interviews and hearing what the interviewers have to say. Yeah, it's such an important part. Right? A lot of students in your situation, the ones who don't get all of those inter- interview invites, the ones who go on an interview and don't get the acceptances, they don't know their story. And it sounds like you knew your story. And I, I helped you craft that a little bit with your personal statement and descriptions and stuff. But at the end of the day, you knew your story. You knew the power of story, even talking about Michelle Obama's um Becoming, which is a great book. I really love that book. Uh, I didn't know it was a documentary too. I'll have to check that out. But um, the, the story is so compelling to understand, right? You you weren't just a robot of, oh, look at my great grades and then look at all these things I've checked off. You were a non-traditional student who through experience and through time realized that you needed to go to medical school and you told that story. And it obviously resonated with the medical schools to to get that many interview invites when you were on the interview trail, number one, you went on 21 interviews that that gets a little expensive. I'm assuming why go to that many interviews? I had no idea what my competitiveness was in this whole application process, Mm -hmm. like especially applying without an MCAT score. Um, And for me and, you know, my family, one of the biggest things for us going to med school was where are we going to be able to go with the least economic burden? Like where is going to be the most financially feasible? And my mindset was let's go to all the places that we know give good aid. Mm. (laughs) And so as soon as I got to to be frank, as soon as I got my first, um, you know, scholarship package in December and acceptance in December, I cut a a ton of interviews out. Right. But I had already gone to like 16 because I also wanted to be early. So I already had gone to a ton early on. And so after that first acceptance, it was just kind of like, okay, we're in a good place now. This is what, I mean, I'm really happy with, you know, this, this awesome school is great offer. And so let's, let's hold off on all these other ones. So I didn't, I didn't have any more flights after that. I didn't like really go any, anywhere that was further than driving. I think only went to three or four interviews after December. Um, And so, yeah, but I had done so many interviews prior to that because Mm -hmm. I wanted to like, you know, be in the wave before Thanksgiving or before the Christmas break. I kind of wanted to get those answers earlier. And so that's what it was. It was just an investment game. It was, we set aside money for the process, for the flights Mm -hmm. and everything. We got the special credit card with all the points. Everybody was tallying up for the last, (laughs) you know, year and a half. I probably, I I don't think I spend nearly as much as I would have if I didn't plan for that before, because, you know, I mean, all that stuff adds up. Yeah. And then I also stayed with a ton of students. Right. So like mm-hmm. a lot of the hospital stays weren't, I mean, hospital stays, <laughs> a lot of the hotel stays, excuse me, yeah. um, weren't as costly. Uh, and so, yeah, just trying to just manage that as best as possible, because it was something that we saw as an investment and not something, you know, that I just wanted to, oh yeah, let's go on these three or four. You know, if I had the opportunity, I wanted to make sure I took the most. Yeah. What was the biggest that. surprise for you throughout the interview trail? I think sitting in the room with all of my future colleagues for, um, you know, in, in every one of the interview, you know, destinations, I think the biggest surprise was just hearing, you know, how many different amazing paths that people took to medicine, whether it be, you know, in the short conversations we have while we're waiting for interviews, whether it be outside the MMI doors, I actually connected, I have like four or five, like close friends now that I've met on the interview trail that we still keep in contact with through, uh, in different ways, like, you know, zooming and like texting and things like that. And I think finding those and feeling those connections actually really did surprise me because someone who's going through this, I, I assumed, you know, there would be 
you know, young, it would be a younger, you know, crowd. I don't know how much I would connect with, you know, a lot of people on the interview trail. I met two other dads, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's pretty cool to, to go through the whole process and come out the other side with, um, you know, these stronger relationships for it and just being able to go through medicine now with people who saw you while you were interviewing, you know? So I think it's really cool. That was, that was surprising for me. Yeah. With so many acceptances, what was the decision for you to, to come to a final conclusion on what school you wanted to attend? Uh, the first, uh, first was money. And so like, what was the financial, like what would be the financial package at different schools and how Mm -hmm. could I leverage that at other schools if there was a possibility to do that? So that was number one. Number two, um, I think figuring out, I think at the time when I was making that decision, I think we had just found out that step one would possibly be pass fail. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, I think part of it was you know, in terms of, in, in terms of the schools that I was looking at, well, you know, how much of an emphasis or how much of a, you know, uh, curriculum shift or change would there be for like all these upcoming changes? Cause I do think step one, maybe being passed, but I mean, this is just my personal opinion that there'll be other dominoes that would need to happen in order to, um, you know, I think transform medical education for the better. And then COVID hit, right. And so now we're all <laughs> like, so now, you know, we're talking about virtual spaces and virtual learning. And I think being at a place that's open to innovation and change in medical education specifically as a former teacher was important to me. And then a lot of the other stuff, to be honest, was family considerations. So could we live in a, in a place big enough um, that could fit like me, three (laughs) kids and my partner, right? That was one. Um, What were the schools like in the area? Like my, my wife didn't want to necessarily have a place that no backyard and no parks. And she wasn't really, too keen on a, a super city life, but that was something that we talked a lot about. Well, is there a, is there an area outside of the city that we could still live in and mm. that kind of stuff? And so we're open to moving anywhere, but a lot of the other considerations, you know, hinged on that. Like where would, where would we be best um, fit as a family? Uh, and so first was, again, first was money too, was the, like, the curriculum and how those things would change. And a lot of the other stuff were family factors. What are you looking forward to starting medical school? Yeah. So, um, I decided on a school, uh, I'm going to be going to Harvard in the fall, which is really, ex- and for me, just, a, it feels like a dream come true. doesn't feel uh, real yet. Um, we've been connecting a lot of the, a lot of the students, um, in a lot of different formats, virtual phone call and stuff like an incoming students, uh, who would be attending. And so for me, I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, getting to learn and, alongside my classmates i mean it will be virtual first but uh, <laughs> alongside <in> virtually January, <laughs> alongside virtually <laughs> my classmates uh and kind of just get to know all these awesome people that i'm able to you know learn medicine alongside because i think so far it's just been uh, just a great opportunity to connect with um, people on this journey with you and so that's really exciting for me i also just bought an ipad for the first time <laughs> you know so uh, harvard doesn't give you one <laughs> come on i wish right we're still waiting on we're still waiting on to see if we get a little tech stipend for, for the <laughs> iPad stuff. So, I mean, for me, I think um, l- learning how to learn in this new age of like, you know, using all these apps and stuff, I think that's yeah. really interesting because it's something that, I mean, I, I just threw out a ton of notes that I had from like undergrad and I was like, man, if I had all these like saved somewhere, it'd be <laughs> nice to like look back at them if I wanted to every once in a while. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that too. Just, just kind of jumping in and getting started. If you could go back and change anything about your, your pre-med journey, what, what do you think you would change? It's difficult to argue with the result, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and I'm definitely not someone who, who looks at 
I guess, life as like this discrete timeline. Uh, well, you have to hit this milestone by this age and this milestone and you have to be this, you know, at this far along in something at this age. And so because I think so much of that social construct of, you know, meeting these milestones professionally or even personally in your in your personal life can hamper your ability to enjoy the now. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, um, yeah, I think for me, looking back on it, there there were moments, you know, in the middle of that, that it felt like, you know, how much am I, am I losing by continuing to pursue this? And I think if I change, if I change anything, I think I would have just been a little bit, um, I would have fast forward my mental flexibility and my, co- like it eliminated my cognitive dissonance for all of you psych social <laughs> <laughs> studiers. Uh, yeah. Try to eliminate that more and just try to focus on, you know, the journey because I mean, it's long, man. Like even yeah. now, like I'm looking at another God note, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you're looking at high school residency, all this stuff. It's not, around the corner. So I think focusing on the fact that I'm doing what I wanted to do, doing what I love to do now, instead of like, well, in this much time, then I'll be a resident. And in this much time, I'll be an attending. And this much time, I'll do research here and all that stuff. Like the, the process is so long. You're in medicine, right? And you're going to be doing what you want to be doing. And I think enjoying yeah. that and, you know, living that, I think figuring that out earlier would have been more helpful for me psychologically, but thankfully I feel comfortable with it now. Yeah. Talk about the conversations with your your spouse uh, having kids, obviously, with her being a nurse and having her own career. How do you how do you have those conversations or what did those conversations look like to say, I'm going to be busy with medical school. Are are you going to want to continue with your career doing your stuff? How do we get the child care and be able to afford everything? And what what did that look like? Yeah. So first, like my, my wife, Priscilla, she's a rock star. Okay. Like she is, I'm going to brag on her a little bit. She's like the best, I would say for me personally, probably the best decision I've ever made in my life was to marry her. And we got married really young. Um, we knew each other from elementary school. Wow. We got married right out of high school and we went to under, we went to undergrad together. So we've been this past June was um, 12 years we've been married and we've been together since pretty much high school. And so I would say growing alongside of her and like her support um, throughout this whole process has been just so inspirational for me because I never have to worry about if anyone is doubting, doubting me. It's just like this unconditional, I believe you can do this support that um, I'm privileged to have 100%. She is also a career changer, by the way. So when we moved to, 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 to Baltimore for teaching, she, we had just had my first daughter, Samaya, and she was like, listen, I think I really want to be a nurse. Um, and she had gone to, to the nonprofit sector. That's, that was her initial career. Mm. And I said, okay, if that's what you want, let's do it. And she did the classes. She enrolled in a bunch of, you know, classes. And then she got into a one-year accelerated program at Hopkins, did well. And then she went to, she went on to like work in the OR. Then she worked at, you know, Peds hospitals. And now she's looking for a job now. And so like for me, for her, I think initially, like that was, that was, you know, her doing her thing while I was still teaching and supporting our family. And so when I talked to her about possibly doing this, it was pretty much, you know, reciprocating that support was a big yeah. part of it. Um, and just having that open and honest conversation all the time, just like, okay, so where are we at now? Where does this look like for us, you know, as a family, you know, she went to nights, you know, she's planning mm-hmm. to go to nights to be able to manage like me, like, you know, learning during the day and like having to go to classes and we talking about, you know, having an au pair again, like all this stuff. Um, finances, a big part of it. Like, so how are our finances going to work? And so just having that open and honest communication um, with the backdrop of we're supporting this as a family goal and not just like as only something that, you know, you want to do. It's like kind of like a whole mindset because, you know, we have a nine-year-old too. So she's all about, she's in every single decision, you know, nice. and her and her feeling included is is really important to us. So 
you know, although she didn't want to leave Philly, you know, she was with it and she's having fun so far. So nice for the, the student listening to this struggling on their decision to leave whatever they're doing and, and go back to, to school and pursue this path to become a physician. What kind of final words of wisdom do you have for them? Final words of wisdom. I think. I think, to be honest, since everyone's path is just so unique, um, I think the most general, and I feel like it's a platitude, but I really believe in it, um, is make sure this is what you want and then commit to it with everything you have. Because if, no you, plan don't B's. Have that, yeah, if you don't have <laughs> that initial like you know confidence and this is the path, if you have any wavering, it's going to be easy to get off the train. Yep. Like You have so many opportunities and so many stops along the way to be yep. like, Oh, no, this wasn't it. <laughs> I get <laughs> I get so much hate for for my no plan B mentality, but it's it's the truth. This path is so hard that if you're like, well, I could go do this other thing, and you're gonna go do that other thing. Yeah, because like you like, there's so many opportunities to just like you know check out and like, oh, it's too much, or like, okay, well, you know, because you didn't find success in that one field or that one area that you needed to find success in, like, okay, I'm gonna do something else. Like, yeah. it just makes it so much more difficult because then you can't you can't develop a steady support system around you because you're all you know you're all wavering about it. You're like, oh, yeah, sometimes I'm yeah. gonna do it. Yeah. Sometimes I'm not like so. Then who's who's going to be there to, to like want to support you if you're like waffling and you're yeah. flaky about like what you want to do? So yeah. like just be sure about it, and then honestly just commit to it and find every single opportunity to make sure that it happens. Because otherwise, you know, you're going to be there. There. I mean, you you can list all the different op, like ways that you can opt out. You can opt out from you know not doing <laughs> well in orgo to you know not wanting to study for the MCAT to yeah. you know not you know not crushing your interviews to you know residency to have, stuff to, to like having things. kids and you're like ah never like, mind yeah yeah forget it it's not worth it you know what I mean yeah absolutely so I mean I think all that is part of it too well awesome what is your your plan for the future what are you hoping to potentially go into for a career do you have you have any ideas yet yeah um i think i know a bunch of things that i don't want to do which is really helpful i yeah. think that's for me it's like uh feels really good to start doing the like elimination piece because i still want to go into every single rotation and experience with an open mind mm-hmm. because that would defeat the purpose of like you know for me like going into medicine and trying to enjoy the journey as much as possible so i do want to do that but there are some things that i'm just like i don't think i really would enjoy that like psychiatry i probably wouldn't really enjoy mm-hmm. um and some other things but i think one of the things that like the, I, I would say the core themes of certain fields, like having an outcome, whether it be good or bad, I think having a consequence of action is really important to me. Feeling like I'm working with my hands uh, is important to me. And that could be procedural or surgical. I'm definitely leading to something surgery, but again, like with a family and thinking long-term, like how is that, how is that going to look? And what is that going to look and feel like for our family? So I think those are all part of it. Um, yeah. So I think that's what I'm leaning toward. I also, you know, I think I'm just trying to also figure out all the things that, you know, medicine has to offer. I just got an IG account and I started putting stuff on Instagram because <laughs> I never had, I didn't really like have an Instagram before. And then yeah. all the, all the new incoming students like, Oh, you don't have IG. I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I'll get one. <laughs> and now you need a TikTok. No, I don't know, but <laughs> I just got, I just figured out how to do a story on IG. Um, yeah. So at future Dr. Han, if anybody wants to follow, I guess, there we go. Uh, but it was for me, it was only, it was just like, it's just going to use it as like an opportunity to like have a journal 
of mm-hmm. what this whole process was like. Because sometimes it's so hard to like remember what did you do at this time? Like this. <laughs> That's ago. what MAPT is for. Right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah, I think so. You know, to put a bow on your question, I have no idea, but definitely not a few things, and open to something. You know, in the realm of you know, kind of surgery or procedural based, but who knows? Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Congrats on all of your success. Congrats on sticking through, right? Multiple kind of false starts uh, and and really sticking to your guns and knowing that this is what you wanted and finally getting there and obviously having major success through the application cycle. Thanks so much, Dr. Gray. You have, I mean, I, words cannot express how um, integral your role has been either personally or the podcast or your books, but um, I would say I don't think I could have been nearly as prepared if it wasn't for all of your materials and the things that you're doing. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So there you have it again, Shahan. Congratulations on your journey, on all of your success and to your future. If you enjoyed this episode, I would want you to check out all of the pre-mid years podcasts that we have. If you don't subscribe, please do in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel at premed.tv. Go check out all the amazing YouTube videos I've been putting out over there. We've slowed down for a little bit right now with COVID and, and the pandemic. My recording schedule is a little bit off whack, out of whack. So uh, we're struggling to, to continue to push out tons of videos there, but go check out premed.tv. And then please also check out mapped.com. We just had our final price increase at mapped.com before our our actual software is released. So right now it's still in pre-order status. You can go to mapped, M-A-P-P-D.com. Now mapped is a technology platform that I've wanted to do forever. I partnered with someone who has about 20 years experience in the test prep world and student world, as well as bringing on uh, Dr. Scott Wright, who I've had on this podcast before. He's the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, the former executive director at TMD SAS. He's our VP of academic advising, helping us shape what MAPT is. We had actually just literally today, as I'm recording this, a great discussion on how we want MAPT to help students through the application process, including tracking timelines, tracking secondary timelines, tracking interviews, and being able to, to come back from an interview, right? Go back to your hotel. If, if we have hotels in the future with interviews, um, or if it's all virtual, going and logging right onto mapped and going, okay, here's my feedback for this interview. So that when it comes time to pick a medical school, assuming you have multiple medical schools to pick from, you'll be able to go onto mapped and go, okay, what did I like about this school? What didn't I like? And right. And we're going to be able to prompt you and all of that stuff on the information to put in. You'll be able to track all of your extracurricular activities and keep basically a diary of all of the activities that you do from day one to day 100. It'll automatically track the 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 time, your start time and end time and total hours and all that stuff. You'll be able to enter in all of your grades and we have a huge database of, I think we're over 350 schools 
now all of the courses at those schools and we'll be able to be able to tell you in the future like oh the the course that you entered that's a science course and and we're going to calculate that towards your science gpa um, or it's not a science course etc so and, and we'll be able to show you your gpa trends and show you your amcas gpa and your acomis gpa and your tmdsas gpa and give you feedback based on those those calculations to say hey you have a downward trend uh, that that may be a red flag. Here's some things to think about. And you'll be able to enter in your MCAT practice test scores and your your real test scores and so much more. So MAPT is coming. We're going to change the pre-med landscape. Uh, it'll be a communication tool with your advisors. Eventually, your advisors will be able to log into MAPT and see students who they work with. And oh, we're just so excited. So MAPT.com, go check it out. Right now, it's, it's at the lowest price it will be. Once uh, it comes out, uh, we're shooting for fall 2020. So maps.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.